0: entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And today is a very special day. I'm recording this introduction on the 21st of May, 2020. And for those of you who listen regularly, you'll know that today was the launch of my book called How to Be a Change Superhero. Last night, we had a fantastic launch party um, it was so much fun, actually. It's amazing how much fun you can have virtually. And I was there were loads of people uh, who joined me, which I'm really, really grateful for everyone's support, including a number of people who listened to the podcast. So that was wonderful. Uh, I am going to do a bit of a shout out I said, to some of these people just to say thank you very much for joining in terms of that. And um, well, before I do that, I wanted to share hot off the press news that as of half an hour ago, the book made it not only into the charts within the Amazon charts, but we actually made it to number one in the best sellers in HR and personnel management. So I'm so chuffed actually that I can say it's a bestseller. So there you go. Um, By the way, by the time you listen to this, uh, it will have gone back down to the normal price actually. But hopefully some people will have already managed to take advantage of the the bargain price that we've got um, out there on the Kindle edition. Um, So do listen up here. And the other thing actually is that imminently the Audible version. So on the premise that a number of people like podcasts, uh, keep an eye out, I will announce when the Audible is out, but it will be coming soon as well if that might be of interest. And we'll put some sort of introductory pricing on that. So thank you for all your support if you were one of the supporters. And just in terms of those who joined, I wanted to share we did lots of competitions. We had superhero quizzes, people changing their names, to superhero personas. It was really quite a giggle. And there was lots of lovely chat. And I thought I'd share here um, the winners or some of the winners, because you may well be listening. So in terms of the superhero persona, um, we had Christopher Thomas, the moustached Mobilizer, was a winner. Uh, Lucia Abugutus, who is HR Lama, And I wanted to mention her anyway. She's on Twitter as HR Llama. She's got a book out as well. Um, and she's done it on Kindle Unlimited, actually, I think. So it's available free for a short period of time. Her term is Fighting HR Fluffiness. So I thought that was really lovely. And I had a chat with Lucia so that was lovely too. Um, Rowan, uh, he, uh, Empathy Eagle, was uh, was also a winner in terms of superhero personas. Uh, in terms of winners of the quiz, we had Helen Rothbottom and Emma Pearson, and then Vicky Osborne and Priya Garaji. And then final, finally, on the ruffle, uh, we had Ruth Cornish, she's a good friend of ours, Bob Winnington, Sarika Garg, We had Ian Oliveau, Jenny Matlin-Bannerman won three three 360s and the top winner who won the Change training was Andy McPherson so I hope to meet some of you I've met some people on there but lots of you haven't um, and I hope to meet some of you in person obviously the training is actually virtual and I mentioned last week that I would share about that so that's out on our website and if you are interested in doing more about change and actually applying change then we have now got a virtual training program that's just been released and we'll be running it for the first time in September so enough about that I'm a bit overexcited but let's now move over to our fantastic conversation um, with Rebecca Ray and there's some really useful materials that we've put in the show notes that you can download um, to support HR professionals in terms of a checklist to manage the way through the the crisis that is still going on as we revert back to a type of normality so uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation. So, over to you, Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a distinct pleasure, Lucinda. Thanks for having me on. Oh, that's lovely. Uh, so. Well, we we were having a great chat, weren't we, to such an extent before we started recording that I guess it's about us rewinding back a little bit, because there's so many areas that you can go into. Um, But what we wanted to do was make sure that this is a very practical conversation for people about how can they give people the best start in the workplace in in terms of how can we prepare, particularly as HR professionals, about um, the next phase, I guess, of returning people to the workplace, if that indeed is the way to go. What's your view on this?
1: Well, I, um, I I think there's no end to the number of people who are quick to tell you what the the new, the new normal, the next normal, the reimagined workplace, or whatever other label they've chosen is going to look like. And I, I'm afraid that we don't really know. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine that collectively, as a profession or even as as a member of the world, that we're going to emerge from this unscathed. I think this will have a, a deep impact on our psyche, our profession, our, our worlds, and who we are as humans for a long time to come. Similar to those whose characters forged uh, through through war or deprivation or or other crises in the world. And And so I think the first question we should probably ask is, is returning or an attempt to return to the way things were even a viable option or the right option. I think many of us uh, are in in industries that are fundamentally changed. And so much about the way in which we uh, went to market or the the ways in which we served customers or the types of um, skills that our people needed or the types of people we may have needed may all be subject for really serious review. And I think it behooves all of us to help ask the right questions so that we can do the best we can to support not only the organization's mission in whatever revision or impacts that may have had but also the the employees and the customers we serve and our stakeholders so the question the first question i think should be you know what do we need to do right now to help because obviously everyone is in a different phase of this and i know many of your listeners are in the uk and Mm -hmm broader Europe and so you know you've been addressing this for a longer time than we have here in the United States and some of my colleagues uh, in Europe have kept me apprised of things but my colleagues in Asia who were at an early and even earlier um, phase of this you know they've all seen lessons and I often listen to them to see what they are now going through as a second wave or as ramifications of getting back to work start to take hold so the future has arrived you know how they used to say the future has arrived but just not evenly distributed i think the impact of this is here too it's just not it's not the same even in the united states we're looking at a move now out of some of the epicenters and into the heartland that was relatively untouched by much of this and so you're seeing flare-ups in uh, many rural or suburban areas and i think you know we've, we've got a ways to go before we think we're we have this in the rear view mirror. So I think there's the initial, what do we do now to keep our people safe and to continue to try to to do business. And at the conference board, we we do have a global community and we do have a great deal that we've put together for the support of our members and actually the public. We've made much of this public uh, as as we all strive to get through the COVID-19 pandemic uh, from economic uh, scenarios to uh models to all of the work we've done in the in the human capital space to to governance marketing sustainability so trying to put a holistic set of tools and support uh together in one place we did however um expand that a bit and put in a human capital uh, section as well and i would encourage your listeners to to take a look if if, um, uh, if they'd like if you just go to our website you'll see the COVID 19 Uh, resources and if you click through uh, you'll see there's one in human capital and and what we did was curate all the best resources we could find uh, ours and others Uh, and then all of the programming that we've got around COVID and then a series of 10 very short rapid response pieces um, on what to do right now you know looking at alternatives to layoffs if or if you have to do them to to do them in a compassionate and humane way uh, about compensation and benefit strategies uh, to help employees navigate through this. Uh, a little bit about um, onboarding and why that's still important, uh, talent acquisition and how that continues, employee engagement. And you know, something that uh, we also talked about was support for well-being and mental health. And you know, this is a horrible pandemic but one of the things that has been heartening to see is the focus on supporting employees' mental health and well-being through this crisis in a way that I've not seen in, in earlier uh, challenges that we've faced. And if and if that's one good thing that comes out of this is an acknowledgment that employees really do have to bring their whole selves to work, and when they can't, it's at a it puts the organization at a disadvantage and we want to try to make people whole and support them through this. And I, I have really um, welcomed seeing the emphasis that so many have put on employee well-being and mental health. So yeah. those were the first things we did. We did about 10 of those just to get them out there about leading virtual teams. Um, and, and so that's, what's out there now. And, and that's really the here and now. And, and in a moment we can talk a little bit about, you know, shifting our sight into returning.
0: So, um, obviously, thank you for pointing those out. We'll make sure that I put links to those. So, those are resources that any of our listeners can download and and access. Yes, indeed. Um, And as we were saying before, uh, what I really like is things which are quite practical that people can take away actually from just listening to the podcast. So, um, I know that so they can access those. But you're also saying, in terms of the questions, we're talking about what can we do right now to work to help, um, asking those questions, and actually about thinking about how can we put our wellbeing of our stuff first and also keep ourselves in business um yeah. i suppose just before then we maybe go into that sort of next stage of what people might do or looking at the other mm-hmm. questions you mentioned three sort of strategic um Things which we need to keep our eye on: well-being, which is is key, and that is top of um, top of the list. Well-being, um, onboarding, and also talent acquisition. So those, in theory, are um, strategic and sort of things we have to do on a on a daily basis. Do you have any um, tips or recommendations? If there were just like a couple of takeaways in each of those areas that you'd suggest that people professionals thought about right now in those areas? If you started with well-being, for example okay sure so uh,
1: it's one thing to close down the way in which you normally work and i recognize fully that i'm sitting here with the privilege of being able to work remotely i don't have to make a choice between a high-risk job and a paycheck and supporting my family so let me just put that right there and so there are many people for whom you know remote working is not an not an option right so uh, and and let, let's set aside for for just a moment uh, the folks who are um, contractual workers or informal workers or whatever they may be labeled, you know, around the world. Um, you know, those are folks who are particularly hard pressed uh, at this time. There's some really good work that the ILOs just put out on, you know, what they project as the, the impacts there. And you know, it, it's it's a very challenging, very global problem. Uh, but if we're looking at predominantly around employees and sort of the employer's role in supporting them through this, I think as we look at mental health, I think we have to, to be ever vigilant and very communicative about what resources are there and to encourage people to talk about the ways that in which they are feeling you know, the stresses of this and the kinds of things that they uh, can do. And I think this is one of those moments where, if you're an authentic leader, and mm. you've mastered the core skill of empathy, uh, that's really going to come to the forefront now, because for for employees, they need they need to look to leaders in whom they can trust, who believe that these leaders actually may not have all the answers, but but they'll work in ways with others to get them and that they will lead their employees safely through this. You know, we are all looking for that kind of leadership. And so when leaders are authentic, when they talk about the fact that they care about the whole person, when they are vulnerable themselves and when they instill a sense of a purpose and eventual positive outcome for employees, that's what I think employees are looking for now in their leaders. So, not being aware of the level of anxiety that um, employees have uh, is is a real uh, flaw, I think, for leaders now. They need to be able to to tell stories about how they face challenges in the past. They need to be able to talk about perhaps their own vulnerabilities. They have to make sure that employees understand what's available to them in terms of you know third party, Um, folks who can support them through this or uh, maybe even taking a look to the extent that a company can to offer uh, these well-being services or therapy sessions as starbucks did you know for example Um, and you know it's really about helping people stay connected and part of what exacerbates mental health issues is feelings of isolation Mm -hmm. And we're only talking about those situations where people are now quarantined or in self-isolation with people they ostensibly love, right? Now their children are home, they are teachers and they are now caregivers, and they are supporting perhaps another working adult. And we are all testing the limits of our Wi-Fi capabilities. And so for a lot of people, this is tough, but it's manageable. There are other folks for whom being Uh, compelled to work from home is their worst nightmare because home is not a safe place Um, you know so there's a whole there's a whole myriad of challenges and situations here so I think it's important for every leader to be very conscious of the people on their team, how are they doing? What are the changes in behavior? When have you seen their participation or engagement levels begin to wane? It's very easy on some of these Zoom calls where you're one of a mass of people for someone to not be fully engaged, for someone to sort of fade away. And I think leaders need to be very aware who Who's not participating? Who hasn't been involved? Have I reached out to this person to check to see how they're doing? Have I offered moral support? And and look, that's that's the hard thing about being a leader, right? There are many times you can't fix the problem these people have, particularly if they, they you know they're furloughed or they've taken pay cuts or they're anxious about you know the future or their their bonuses have been removed. Yeah. you know, in many parts of the
0: world, you can't fix that, but you can yeah. be an ear and a shoulder. And it's an interesting one isn't it the whole well-being thing because the with this move across the world to as not just working from home, but working from home. And it is acceptable for there to be interruptions, as I can hear in the background, my daughter shouting at me at the moment, even though I've told her on a podcast. That's um, so why I'm just ignoring, because she's 16 and should know better. But, um, you know, the whole sort of... That that which would perhaps have been frowned upon, those kind of interruptions, have the human aspect has been... is acceptable, I guess, until maybe people go back to school um, and that sort of thing. And and yet, I, I suppose the... The, the awareness and the acceptability of the whole person brings so many, we should maybe, we. I feel like we were able to compartmentalise before, and you had to just mm-hmm. come in and bring your professional self into the office or to the Zoom call, even if you were working from home, and none of these other external stresses were were acceptable. So the stuff was there, but perhaps it wasn't stuff we needed to be aware of. Whereas now, as you're saying, there's the authentic leadership. My take from what you're saying there is actually one of the most powerful things we could do as HR professionals or people professionals is to remind the leaders and the managers of how powerful and important it is for them to um, show their own vulnerabilities, their their whole selves, and also to recognise that I think for the long term with people, that people bit and that empathy first, because it's perhaps something that I think it's something perhaps had been was secondary in the workplace. I, my question is whether, when everyone goes back to school, whether it will just swing back to how it used to be. And then that might mean we get mental health issues swept under the carpet, I don't know.
1: Yeah, well certainly, Lucinda, we all hope that that won't happen, but I but I think your your point is well taken. You know, in the past, if you had a child, that, you know, came through the room during a, a remote call that you were, you know, working from home, it was somehow or other you were a lesser person because you couldn't control the environment in which you're working remotely. Yeah. and i think now we it's so intimate you are in everyone's living room you yeah. know sometimes sometimes i look at their decor and i say okay i would not have made that choice but you know chintz is not my thing but you know I, it's very it's very leveling. even when sometimes by default and maybe a, as a reflex we say oh i'm so sorry that's my toddler we all say no worries it's a, it's not, you know it's very um, egalitarian in some in some ways i mm. think
0: it would be nice to keep that. So I think, but the the point is maybe as from takeaways, as being practical as HR professionals and not being f- philosophical is, I, I think our our role is maybe to try and be the glue and be that reminder and and, and remind, especially in you know in some organisations and some industries where there are very stressed maybe smaller businesses and their founders that are running it. There'll be some very stressed people who are trying to keep the business afloat, and there and therefore they may impose. I don't know conditions or expectations on workers, which which become difficult in terms of their well being. So it's a, quite a difficult juggling act, I think, for for some HR professionals there.
1: No, I think that's exactly right. And you know, it's it's one thing to encourage leaders to be authentic, but hopefully we, as a profession, you know, have been successful in helping leaders understand what good leadership looks like, so that it's sort of like you know, this is not the time to learn empathy, right? So you know, if you're a, a caring leader and empathetic by nature or have learned the tools to to become one um, that would be that would be great preparation for a future crisis you know not, yes not to try to learn it in the moment
0: yeah 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 and so in terms of um the other two items that we just mentioned and and obviously we can go into more broader stuff in terms of preparing the the workspace and and, and any other sort of angles but you know these other aspects so onboarding i guess if people do go back i mean there's a bit of a recruitment drop but yet you're saying that onboarding is still really important and virtual onboarding quite tricky isn't it have you got any tips in that area Sure. So, just before I go there, let's go to talent acquisition because I think so, that
1: sort of you yes. know sets up the the onboarding thing, right? So, you know, I, I think for a while we're going to see talent acquisition of new talent generally coalesce around critical roles, right? Yeah. Or or those where um, there is great risk if. Um, it, it's a role where the rate of infection might be higher. And so you're going to need to have, you know, other teams and you, you, know, if you have to stagger the workforce or have them work in smaller shifts or smaller teams, or now around the clock in different shifts, you're going to need more people of the same kind. And yet the risk for infection for them is higher. So thinking about, you know, that's probably where the focus, of a lot of the recruiting will be. Then it will also be what the critical roles were most likely before all of this happened. You know, you, you need people who are are going to be able to support the ongoing business, um, goals of the organization. And so that I'm sure will continue as well. I think you're going to need to be very creative in, in some ways. So I think I would, I would try to couple the talent acquisition choices that you make, with an understanding of, is this now going forward what the business is going to need? And I recognize that you know we're all sort of in the moment right now, so you're not going to make the world's best decisions or the most complete ones. But at least to say, gee, do we need to have that many floor reps? Probably not, because you're going to have fewer people on the floor, you know, in a retail setting, for example. And, you know, do you need as many? Or, gee, we don't need as many people to do face-to-face pharmaceutical sales, but we need an awful lot more people to be in an, uh, let's say, an online mode as we think about how we market to physicians. Yeah. You know, i'm just you know a couple of just quick uh, sort of examples like. but yeah you, know, you just need to ask do we really need what we used to and now, now is an opportunity to reshape it potentially exactly exactly so yeah part of this in, in a moment we talk about preparing to return truly really understanding are we in the same business and if mm. so you know does it look quite the same way the, the other thing i would say is that especially if you know that some of the needs are going to shift Take a look at your internal candidates to see which to which which skills might be transferable, and so maybe you know you here's where you have people who have already been vetted. They already understand the culture, they understand the processes of your organization, and perhaps their skill set will allow them to um, you know make a fairly quick transition into a role that you now need. The other thing that I would say is that uh, I am very aware of many. Um, uh, of these efforts in the United States anyway, to work on sort of a business to business basis so that people who have a surplus of talent can connect with uh, organizations who need large numbers of people with particular skills. And it's, it's not a job board, but it's all business to business. And so we're part of one called people and work uh, being led by Accenture. And so what we've tried to do is, is help companies connect. And that's been a really great outcome because what these companies have decided to do is to say, I need two, hundred drivers in the detroit metro area and maybe somebody is part of a airlines hub there and they say well we we have these folks with these skills and their drivers and they just whether it's permanent or, or temporary we'll, we'll take them and and what they've done is been very collaborative here so that for example they may not have to go through quite the same level of screening they will assume that you know they'll verify it down the road but immediately they
0: can get the help they need and keep people employed and yeah. you know that's that's amazing to watch quite a smart collaboration i take it there's non-competitive yeah. businesses uh, to be honest there's it's a mix and so right. sometimes people might
1: have thought twice um about this it's more about what can we do to help Society right now. Yeah, which I just think is fabulous. It's the right, thing to, yeah. it's yeah, the right thing to do.
0: The right picture, yeah like the, the, the um, whole sort of abundance mentality and helping exactly everybody right. Love exactly it. Right. And, um, on that talent acquisition point, i think that's quite an mm-hmm. interesting one because um you often would see that i remember being in an organization and you think uh, why is it that quite often people would have to leave in order to come back in a more senior role do you, do you think that actually we might get better at developing talent internally or finding talent internally as a result of this
1: you know i i certainly hope so i mean part of the reason why we would complain in past years about turnover is because, um, it, you know, you can move and you can perhaps make more money or a title. And, you know, part of it is the syndrome of the shiny penny. Mm. I don't know if that translates. Uh, to You know, you get this shiny new person from outside and, you know, and let's be candid myself included. We all have our personal flaws and wonderfulness And our mothers could probably rattle off the list of all those things in a hurry. But if you're an external person, not everything is known. You know, everybody looks very shiny, as opposed to the internal person who might, you know, we say, well, you know, that's just uh, fill in the blank. And, you know, we kind of know his or her limitations and, you know, they're ours and we
0: love them, but you know. Maybe that's the thing is, again, we could encourage much more of an open mind about people's opportunities to develop their potential, skip their potential, isn't it? It's almost being more, yeah, more positive about people's potential internally, because you'd save, save quite a lot of cost with less recruitment and less onboarding, you know, as well in that sort of circumstance.
1: That's right. And we all know the success rates of those who are internal versus external, particularly at senior
0: levels. So what are oh, well, the statistics on that, Rebecca? Have you got figures on that?
1: Um, I haven't seen the most recent ones, but generally speaking, it's well north of 50% um yeah so you know why why take a chance particularly in a critical higher role when you don't have to you know so i'm I'm hopeful that we cast another another eye on internal candidates but even if you do bring from outside and god knows we will need to do that uh, i think the onboarding process is critically important as well because if you think about it the I am biased. Well, I'll just put that right on the table. I've done a lot of work in the employee engagement and experience area. And I was a former chief talent officer and all that. And so I, I'm a big fan of getting the culture right. And I am of the belief that you do an awful lot of things right across the human capital or human resources spectrum. But if you don't get the culture right, a lot of those things won't add up to the results that you hope for. Yeah. And especially now when we have people who are to greater or lesser degrees, perhaps gonna be working more remotely than ever in the past. And if you're onboarding someone who's never set foot in the office and is now working from his or her home, and expected to sort of embrace the company culture and the mission and all of those things and try to work that much harder to build relationships with people they've never met but now you know you have a shared mutual destiny that's so important to get onboarding and also continual support right so when i think about onboarding it isn't the hi here's your first day here's your you know your badge and Let's sheep dip you for for a day in the company culture, and here's our four main goals, and here's here's our you know uh, revenue targets for the year, and good luck and God bless. You know this onboarding process now has to be I think completely rethought. So it starts well before day one, and then I think it's it must be a concerted effort to reach this person virtually uh, across multiple channels, whether that's colleagues or someone's direct supervisor or the buddy that you set up for someone or whatever other things that you have, but frequent check-ins, helping that person, you know, make introductions to other people, helping him or her feel like a member of the team um, in, in a much faster way, because that isolation and the risk that someone will not make those connections is so much greater now that it's remote. And so that's why I think it's really important.
0: I mean, I 100% agree with you. And you think you should get video on things like that. And actually, to be honest, though, I think people could do a better job of that in these circumstances, because they're more alert to the fact that this is needed. I mean, I also I mean, we know there's also stats about people deciding lots of new starters don't stay with a business because we spend all this money on recruitment, and then they have a pretty poor experience, the line manager maybe. If you're lucky, shows up for day one. You know, doesn't give them a proper, you know, set of introductions or buddy. There's lots of times that onboarding is done really badly. When we mm-hmm. had a normal circumstance, so again, these are not necessarily new problems. Maybe this is an opportunity for us to wake up and smell the coffee about how if this is a very human activity in terms of in terms of bringing people on and, and making them feel part of something and connected. Uh, yeah, so I, the, I think you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. The, the other thing is interesting to me is there's the culture thing. So what do mm-hmm. you see? It's almost, because again, culture is something that we could just take for granted. We were busy business, there was lots of business as usual going on, wasn't there? A transactional workplace, I think it was kind of happening. Now we've realized we need to work a bit harder to um, give people priorities, to focus, make them feel involved, and look after their well wellbeing, onboard them. If we stand back, probably all things we really should have done, we need to maybe put the human first. And does that mean, therefore, that we need to refocus our cultures or is it actually about living up to the culture that we say we have? I mean, culture is a very funny one anyway, isn't it? Is, is this now a time to rethink of our culture and, and, and how we are perceived to our workers?
1: Well, sure. You know, I, I, a culture, every every organization has a culture. It may not be the one you espouse and it may yeah. not be the one you hope. But, you know, just like every family, every organization has a culture. And so it's the it's palpable, particularly when you're around folks. And you can help influence culture through lots of different ways and the ways in which leaders speak to employees and the way in which the employees feel valued or included. And, you know, a lot of that's a lot easier when you're able to be physically together. So yeah. in the absence of doing that, or at least to the same degree that you used to, um, you need to think about how can we do these things? Now, I know uh, many organizations have chosen to, to over communicate. Now, always, I think for all of us who are leaders, you know, you think you've said it 17 times and surely everyone understands. And then you realize, no, we must say it again. And so it's that constant communication, explanation, saying it in different ways, different formats. Um, But it's also about bringing employees into decisions, into conversations and into more of the the team projects. It's very easy, I think, for us to assume that everybody gets it. Mm -hmm. And I think for anyone who is either new or for those people who either their personalities or their cultural underpinnings or ethnicity makes them less likely to perhaps take a lead role or to speak up or whatever other challenges there may be it's important for leaders to reach out or you know supervisors to to reach out and and ask people how they're doing and what's their opinion and so maybe they're not comfortable in a group setting well pick up the phone or you know use a zoom call and check in with somebody and say you know I, i i didn't get how you felt about this during the call, and thought I'd talk about it. And, and you know, uh, we think we have a plan, but from where you sit, what could be the thing that makes this less successful than we
0: want it to be? And just sit and listen to somebody. Listening so, is the key, isn't it? Rather than just talking, communicating at people, actually spending that time listening as well. I think so.
1: And you know, it's it goes back to that vulnerable leader thing. Mm. Sometimes you have to admit you just you you don't have a a, a real clear idea at the moment but you're working on it and here's what you're thinking about and you know brainstorm and whatnot but sometimes you have to just admit i can't fix this problem right now i'm not exactly sure how i'm gonna but here's what i'm doing about that to kind of come back to you with a couple of ideas that maybe collectively we can embrace Mm -hmm. and sometimes it is just simply knowing that you know companies get through crises most, most of the time as do most families it doesn't mean that you aren't impacted by it but most of us do emerge on the other side of something. And helping people recognize and remember when we did is very powerful, I think.
0: Yeah, that's a very strong message, isn't it? And, and actually, it's maybe using this as a catalyst to do something. I mean, I've seen a few businesses going, oh, do you know, finally, we've been meaning to do this for years, but we've now put our XYZ online or done whatever. Um, and I think it says your whole point about also thinking about the structure. Is this is an opportunity for us to maybe stop and take a, a pause and think about that strategic difference and, and and embedding some of those potentially
1: oh without question i mean even when you think about the outgoing ceo Judy Romedy at ibm she said wherever you are i'm not quoting her directly but you know in essence wherever you are in the digital transformation scale this has just moved you right along yeah so if you, wherever you were you're there now and uh no i think i think that's exactly right so you want to talk about uh, you know convergence of forces here that is going to make us extraordinarily different going forward.
0: And on that note, I suppose then I suppose perhaps I'm maybe in the last five minutes or so, uh, in terms of other HR typical activities, processes, use of technology, you know, classic, you know, dig- digital transformation. Um, would are there any that stand out to you that would be, or maybe even would be quick wins for us to prioritize um, as HR or people professionals in the workplace? Uh, in terms of re- I don't know, refreshing <laughs> our approach to anything, yeah, sure.
1: So, um, so I think as, as people begin to think about, and, and many have already done this for a while. Certainly, I, I think our colleagues in Asia and Europe ha- have, you know, come to this party a little earlier. But thinking about what as we start to return to some semblance of normalcy, and I use that in the widest, loosest possible, you know, conception here. Um, you know, what are the things we should be thinking about? And I would encourage your listeners uh, to visit the website and see one of the pieces that we have here. It's called uh, Through a Glass Darkly. And it really is an opportunity to ask the kinds of questions that you should be asking with your colleagues. And there's a planner. It's a spreadsheet that captures all those questions where uh, people can can lead the conversation. I think that's important for those of us Uh, in the human capital space to say let's talk about the people implications of a return for work and it's it's everything from assessing sort of where you are as we've talked about now about you know is the business still the same and you know what would be different about it but also what's what's our understanding of the community support if people it's one thing to announce that you want to open the offices it's another if people don't feel comfortable getting on public transit to get there um, you know, even things like you know, what's available for resources. If you don't have on-site, um, you know, food facilities, what's open? You know, how would you uh, bring people back? With and what's the time frame? Who? What will the workplace look like? The the level of, of cleanliness and the level of sanitation and the the sheer number of things that you need to just think about the physical workplace of how many people you're going to allow on a floor or a shop floor or a manufacturing plant or the office space you know what are the protocols of coming in how do you screen if you have a requirement in your locality to provide personal protective equipment can you even get your hands on it and can it be sanitized and for those who are differently abled how do you get your hands on that
0: kind of protective equipment as well so it's just there's a thousand questions you need to ask and that's on a template is it that's not, so is that did you said what did you say that was called it's yeah. called a, it's called a planner a planner and it's uh, in fact um, I'll share the links and make sure that your folks can can get yeah, it but I'll put them directly cuz it's cuz the, the website we're talking about is www.conferenceboard.org isn't it in terms of this is that the one we go to to get this
1: Actually, you know, what I will do is it's a, a tiny bit more complicated. Let me send you the links. And if you wouldn't mind, we'll put it right in. But it's conference-board.org. Yeah. And okay, you, cannot, you, you can't miss the COVID-19 coronavirus image that I think is seared into all of our brains. But that's right there on the uh, the landing page on the banner.
0: And they can go in. And this that resource, what I, what I thought about that is just even when you were going through that what eight or mm-hmm. nine questions, Gosh, I hadn't even thought about that. I hadn't even thought about that. I hadn't even thought about yeah. that. So helping people to have a real and and also given that actually loads of HR professionals are, I mean, certainly in the UK, um, we were talking earlier, weren't we, about the slight difference in furloughing. The the rules are changing all the time, and yeah. the government hasn't been maybe as clear. Hopefully, by the time this podcast goes out, they will have clarified. But. HR professionals are having to create clarity where there isn't very much. So it's easy not to therefore think broadly. You start thinking quite narrow and narrowly. Um, So it would be quite helpful, I think, to have this particular um, document. So I'll definitely link and, and share that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the spreadsheet just lists all these questions um, and it talks about, you know, the time frame and who are the key stakeholders and what's the level of difficulty? Is there a cost? You know, what are the notes that you need from the community here? But it, one of the tabs in this downloadable spreadsheet, <clears throat> this reset and recovery planner, we're calling it a return to the reimagined workplace. There's a whole tab there full of, think about the different impacts that are going to be in place now for virtually every HR process and procedure you have. You know, many people um, decided to compensate people differently if they were on the front lines and at higher risk. So now what do you do with that? Many people, we see the United States were, um, they took pay cuts, they lost bonuses. Um, Many people took massive uh, pay cuts, but were able to keep health benefits. You know, you now have people who can work from work remotely and some who cannot. What's mm-hmm. the fair way to compensate them for different roles? Um, what do we do with performance management in initially, certainly, and then going forward? You know, how will how will we monitor remote work? There are still some managers out there who believe that if they don't see you working in a cubicle, obviously you're at the spa. And yeah. I, I, I think nothing could be further from the truth, but for a lot of managers, this is a this is a tough one i'm Mm. surprised the number of companies many of them marquee names who were caught flat-footed on working remotely and i thought surely that would have been part of their thinking process even if it's from a regular business continuity perspective where you kind of think through you know what's the what are the people implications for whatever scenario plans you know you you walk through as as an organization but a lot of people they, their people didn't have laptops they they didn't have you know connectivity at home they had no dedicated workspace it's just and so their their immediate concerns were just getting people up to to speed and you know we all saw the horror stories about not having a VPN in place and so people were at, at great risk for hackers mm-hmm. and that of course exposes business uh yeah. secrets and, and ip so you know i'm hopeful that this planner it, it, and again i don't pretend to have the answers but I do think I have a pretty good grip from all the member companies around the world that I talk to what some of the questions are. And most of the folks I speak with are not in a hurry to race back to some you know, semblance of whatever iteration of the workplace it is. I think they're being very thoughtful, being very cautious, and are very concerned about uh, not bringing people back if they truly think that there's going to be a resurgence and there's some very large well-known organizations that have already announced that you know folks are are working at, at remote locations through the fall if not through the end of the year Yeah, I think so, Twitter
0: have said that. Some, some of your big names yeah. said they can indefinitely do it. Yes. That's right So I think
1: those are the kinds of questions every company has to decide what does it need to do? What does it need to look like? in order to be a sustainable, viable organization going forward. Only the people who are the leaders and HR is at the forefront of this, only those leaders can decide what's best for them. But my hope is that the work we've done and the collective wisdom that we've tried to bring from all of our member company organization conversations into the work here on the website, as well as the planner, that maybe it's a good place to start. That's our hope. And that's why we've made it available to the public because we just think that's the right thing to do right
0: now that's That's very much appreciated, and I think it's a really kind of positive way to end I, I like to say we don't you, even though you've done all this you know this research and and you know all across the country you're you don't know the answers because everyone's got a slightly different circumstance, but if we have the questions, then we can work out the best possible answer for our circumstances. So I think actually that's a really helpful thing to to have those questions. Um, Rebecca, thank you so much for, for being so generous with your time and, and also with your resources. And as I will make sure that um, we'll get those out as widely as possible so that um, the HR uprising colleagues can benefit from them. And, and I really appreciate it because I think we've done a, a real whistle-stop tour through um, <laughs> the imp- impact of, you know, right from what the questions we need to ask what do we do in terms of well-being in terms of onboarding talent acquisition performance management um, culture so we've touched on lots of topics but also we've kept it practical so there are questions that um, that listeners can go to and start thinking about what they can do in in their areas um, and challenge their leadership and support their leaders um, to do the best for their people. And make their way out of this. Is there, in terms of people getting hold of yourself, um, Rebecca? You happy um, is, uh, happy me putting your contact details, or how how do you like to be um, contacted if if someone wants to get in touch with you?
1: sure so I, i'd be happy to and um i'll uh, you have my uh, email LinkedIn. um link and my linkedin profile so happy to connect you know i i first of all want to say thank you for the opportunity to be with you it's um, i i've had a, the opportunity to listen and learn from many of your previous guests and i'm, I'm honored to be included and um, the only thing i would say is that uh, i have always thought that what we do is vitally important but I'm not sure we've ever been more relevant or important right now in terms of helping organizations, which is at the end of the day, it's people uh, get through this uh, unprecedented uh, pandemic. But I do believe that our best days uh, are ahead of us and we'll get there. And part of that reason we will is because of the dedication of the folks who are most likely listening to this podcast right now. So. Thank you, Lucinda. Absolutely.
0: Thank you. And it's about people, absolutely, we always talk about Upright, of rising up in, and, and showing our value and, and hopefully being recognized for the value that, um, that people bring. So much appreciated, um, Rebecca. Thank you for coming on the HR Uprising podcast. And thanks to all our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.